sucked into a bagel. Sweet, beautiful, lovely, intelligent, kind humans. Welcome to episode 13 of Analog Thoughts. Thank you for dialing into these frequencies. Thank you for allowing me to spew my brain puke into the data sphere to be absorbed by by your ear holes. I appreciate all of you. I appreciate your I appreciate your time, I appreciate your patience, and I appreciate your willingness to, and I appreciate your willingness to be here with me and share this experience. I hope that you've been, I hope that you've been getting blessed in all of the ways that you need, all the ways that you are looking for. I hope that this reality tunnel is shining all of the decadence, all of the luxury, all of the beauty that it has to offer into your day-to-day experience and beyond. Lately, I have been doing music stuff. I've been, um, well, I've been doing more than that. I've been raising a tiny human with my partner, and he's growing and thriving and flourishing and crawling and talking and breathing and eating and pooping and doing all those things, human stuff, real human stuff. So we've been um, raising a small human, been doing music, uh, making music, trying to make a lot of songs. New song coming out to the data sphere on March 17th? 17th, yep, March 17th. Been trying to just make a lot of music. I've been feeling pretty creatively, <clears throat> creatively, inspired and invigorated. So I've been trying to really tap into that. Um, I've been really trying to take advantage of that level of inspiration uh, on the music front. In other ways in my life, I've been feeling kind of foggy and strange. Um, Not necessarily like depressed or anything or like sad, but just kind of like static in my brain in my mind, and uh, I feel like there is so much going on outside of my own life with friends and family that are these really um, unfortunate events and unfortunate circumstances. Like there's some sort of, and some if you're listening and you're um, tuned into the sort of cosmic alignment of of life and and things like what is going on what is this what's happening right now it feels like some sort of phoenix rising from the ashes or this is like the this is the death before the phoenix rises from the ashes we're definitely in like a part of a cycle that is um hitting a bottoming a bottom out point for a lot of people at least in my life that are it's it's beginning a new wave. There's like a new wave, a new crescendo happening for a lot of people. And I feel like in a, in a way that might be the result of all this static in my own head. I'm like processing a lot of 
information from outside of my own life and trying to uh, sort through it all and organize it all. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, that that conundrum aside, um, yeah, like I said, if you do, if you know, if you know, if you're dialed into the stars and the planets and the uh, cosmic nature of things more than I am, which I'm honestly like, I I like to examine that stuff, but I'm like, my finger's not on the pulse of it. I don't know what's currently happening, cosmically speaking. Is is Jupiter in Gatorade, dude? Are we about to enter a new cosmic era? Are is Pisces attacking Taurus? Like, <laughs> I don't mean to, I don't mean to uh, freaking belittle that stuff because I think it's so true and so accurate and so real. So if you like legitimately do know what's going on, please hit me up and be like, hey, these these stars are aligning and we're rebirthing into we're rebirthing into a new era and this is a this is like Shiva is strangling the snake of reality and um it's birthing a new frog head out of its third moon of Neptune. I'll be like sick. I I fuck with all of that. <laughs> I do. I really do. That metaphysical stuff is real and those uh those cosmic alignments align us anyway other than other than cosmic static inside my own mind i've been uh booking some shows i got a show coming up in uh, in march well we're in march we're in at the end of this month march 25th in denver and i'm working on some stuff in nebraska and i'm working on some stuff in texas and i'm working on some stuff in tennessee so keep your ears and eyes open for those dates coming hopefully sooner than later and if you're in Denver, I'll see you on the 25th. So that kind of wraps up. That kind of wraps up what's been going on in my life and the stuff I've been um, doing, the things I've been doing. Music, shows, cosmic static, raising human. And also, Ohio is beginning to spring. Spring is springing. And I've been trying to absorb sun, get into the sun, feel feel vitamin uh feel vitamin d in my life life again <laughs> so hopefully um yeah hopefully that sun just keeps hitting all right on to this on to this podcast topic um the topic of this podcast is one that was really easy for me because it's one of my favorite movies that i think not only has come out in recent years but i think just like one of the most potent pieces of art I've ever seen. And um, the first time I heard about it, I was leaving the grocery store and I saw a flyer for it on this like community bulletin board because they were playing at this cinema here in Dayton called The Neon. And it looked really interesting to me. It was like the... Um, well, the, we're talking, as the title of this episode suggests, we're talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. And when I saw this movie poster coming out of the grocery store, it was like a mandala with all of these weird, um, there was like action and meditation and googly eyes and hot dog fingers and like strange costumes and stuff. And I was, fa I was like, 
um, fascinated just by the aesthetic of the poster. It's like, I have to go see this movie. So we did. My girlfriend and I went to the theater and watched this movie, and I just, I laughed, I cried, I had epiphanies. I had, like, it just hit me in this really profound way. I was like, wow. Parts of it felt like my own take on spirituality and my own take on just the human condition and existential optimistic nihilism like those sort of like motifs that I had built the framework of my own current mental state on had been projected onto the screen and I was like wow I don't feel like a I've ever like identified with a movie personally more than this one (laughs) and that's what makes it so easy to talk about it's what makes it such a uh, an easy, it was what made it such an easy topic to select. And I had no, I really honestly, after I watched it, I didn't think it would receive such, um, mainstream appeal. Like it's up for Oscars and stuff. And that just really goes to show, I feel like how much people needed it as a piece of art. Like it was something that needed to be inserted into the zeitgeist of popular media to help um, help the level of gratitude and compassion that people felt. Because I feel like there's so many um, movies that are just raw entertainment and even, not that there's anything wrong with it, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with just watching something to be thoroughly entertained. Um, but I think the art of really um, using cinema to create, to embed a piece of your uh, spiritual ethos into something is kind of few and far between these days, or at least that's my perspective on it. I don't see a lot of movies where I'm like, God damn, this just hit... (laughs) Like really hard. I do on the entertainment end. I'm entertained by movies all the time. Like there's there's so many great movies being made. I don't mean to shit on movies, but it's rare that I get hit with um, on a spiritual level like I did with this one. And if you're listening to this podcast, if you read the title, Everything Everywhere All at Once, you've heard me preamble this and gush about it, and you don't already know for some reason. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Do not listen to this unless you have seen this movie. Um, I don't want to ruin anything for you. So, and I, that, that's weird to do. That's weird to be like, don't listen to this podcast. If you, yeah, just like don't listen to this. But after I saw it in the movies, I was able to get it at the library. I know right now it's like, it's streaming, I think on like HBO or something. But if you're cheap like me, you can most definitely get a copy from your library. And if you don't have a library card, go get one. Trust me, it will help. It will enhance your life. And I know you're thinking, like, library card, this is 2023. I have access to media on all of these all of these platforms and all of these ways. But the library has all the new stuff, like books they have all the new books and all the new movies and all the new shows and it kind of blows my mind that this is a resource i feel like we're not tapping into 
as much as we could. Like I just got this book on uh, music. So it's called it's called How to Survive the New Music Business, and it came out in February of this year. And I'm like, dang, this is a huge resource on like how to, um, you know, how to navigate the music industry. And it just came out, and it's just free for me to go like pick up and rent and read and. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I know <laughs> I'm like gushing over a pretty um, semi-ancient concept of a library, but I feel like we, um, since we have all these streaming services and we have all of this access to information on our phones and our computers, uh, the library can be kind of forgotten about. But anyway, like I said, spoilers, 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 spoilers. Don't say I didn't warn you. If you listen to this and I ruin this movie for you, it's your own fault. So with that being said, um, there were like a zillion ways I could have gone about talking about this movie. And at first I thought about doing a scene-by-scene breakdown of what this movie means to me and what I think the implications are. And there's certainly a lot of, uh, there's a lot of commentary on uh, how we're in an age of hypermedia consumption and technological attachment and there's a lot of commentary on ADHD and mental health and things like that but ultimately I decided to talk about the metaphysical spiritual and existential significance of the movie um, rather than dissect it piece by piece and talk about all of those things so I'm gonna I'm going to just try and focus on the metaphysical, spiritual, and existential. We are going to get into a bit of what this movie means uh, with mental health and just I feel like I feel like talking about uh, talking about things on an existential in terms of existential con- significance, you have no choice but to talk about mental health. So we uh, we by proxy are we have we by proxy are going to talk about those things because it's inevitable when you get into this territory. I think one of the biggest pieces of this movie is optimistic nihilism and finding peace with the thought that, and I've kind of talked about it on this podcast in a, in a few episodes, but finding peace with the thought that although our lives have no purpose, that very notion allows us endless opportunities and finding um, comfort in the absurd and joy in the seemingly mundane is paramount to a happy existence. And I think the daughter um, in this movie, Joy, I think she represents the existential dread that one can feel from realizing we have no purpose in a reality of infinite options. And I feel like the love that uh, the mother, Evelyn, eventually realizes represents the capacity for human compassion in the face of this meaningless reality that we all face. And I think the absurd nature of it ties into a lot of Zen principles as well. And I thought the way that they wrapped the comedy into the concept of the movie was really well done too. And I also thought the way that the husband seamlessly weaves in these ideas of compassion and kindness were really beautiful. 
when he's faced with such a darkness and tragedy, he still laughs and loves and helps everyone realize that that those simple things are what matter, being connected to the present. And those are just kind of my thoughts, though. I'm sure everyone has a different perspective on watching it. This one just really, this movie just really hit me in a profound way, and I wanted to share my personal experience. I listened to another podcast where they took a deep dive onto the elements of ADHD and how those, uh, where they took a deep dive on how this movie parallels ADHD and people who go through ADHD, which funny enough, I read that when they were initially writing for this movie that one of the directors had an idea of having Evelyn being able to tap into the multiverses by having ADHD. And they thought that was too, too, um, too insensitive to ADHD to have as a concept in the movie. But the sort of like ironic, not ironic, but the, I guess, yeah, the ironic part about this is one of the directors was diagnosed with ADHD while they were filming this movie. He came to the realization that he was living with undiagnosed ADHD, so I thought that was really interesting as well. So let's get into some of these characters. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is Joy, or Jobu Tupaki. And Joy focuses on her Joy's character focuses on her realization that there is no reason for anything to matter because all of the options are out there for us. If everything is, quote, a statistical inevitability and will eventually happen, then why care about anything at all? If it's all going to happen no matter what we do, then our influence on this reality has no meaning, has no purpose. We have no purpose. And then we have her mother, Evelyn, who kind of comes to the same realization as Joy, except that instead of thinking of this as a negative thing, she comes to realize that this is the most empowering thing ever. There are no rules, there are no set paths, and there is no reason to exist except the one that you create for yourself. And when she pulls Joy out of the everything bagel and simultaneously out of her car in that parallel dimension and explains all of this to her, it clicks. And Joy comes to this same realization. And then she asks, what are we going to do now? Or what should we do now? And Evelyn responds, nothing matters. We can do whatever we want. And I think that scene, that scene at the... Uh, conflict arc between Evelyn and Joy is super empower is super empowering and it's really beautiful. And this is just one instance of Buddhist and Taoist and Confucius and Hindu philosophies that we see echoed throughout this entire film. Not that those philosophies or paths are the entire focus of the film's message, but I think that they are heavily intertwined. And interviews with the Daniels, uh, the Daniels are okay. So this movie, this movie was two, directed by two directors named Daniel, 
so uh, when they're credited in the movies, like directed by the Daniels, if you hear me say the Daniels, I'm referring to the co-directors of this movie. And interviews with the Daniels uh, suggest that they had a lot of core spiritual or metaphysical or cosmological frameworks that drove the film, but there wasn't one particular individual one that was the primary focus of the film. So, in other words, in other words, the Daniels were saying, like, yes, we drew upon Taoism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and all of these Eastern paths, Eastern frameworks, but this movie isn't a reflection of specifically one of those. It's a, it's something broader than that. And so with that, all of this is my interpretation of, like I said, it's my interpretation on my experience with the film. The directors and creators embedded their intentions, but intentionally left things open to interpretations. Like all like, I feel like all good artwork does. It, it puts something in front of you and it says, I'm not going to hold your hand with this. I made this thing. I have embedded my own intentions into it and my own, my own vision into this. But it's up to you to take from this what you will. And I think, honestly, that's how all art works, whether you want it to or not. The creators put the thing in and you consume it. And no one ever sees the same movie. No one ever hears the same song. No one ever tastes the same food. We're all different, and we all have a different outlook on life. So we all absorb art in different ways. And the way that I absorbed this just really resonated with my soul because for huge parts of my life, I've aligned myself with Buddhist and Taoist principles and philosophies, thinking about the wheel of samsara and human suffering and empathy and compassion and practicing meditation and getting to states of uh, transcendental states and ego death, uh, dissolving your ego and realigning yourself with auras of energy and like versions of yourself that you think you could, where you think you could be more compassionate and where you think you could be more empathetic towards people in your sphere. And I try to take those concepts and embed them in my own art. So to see a team of people take such big um, life philosophies and and package them into this brilliant story of a mother and a daughter and a husband struggling to pay their taxes. <laughs> it's just really cool. It taps into the absurdism of reality, the absurdity of reality and the realness of it all. It's just really beautiful. And there are a lot of symbols and concepts that really stuck out to me in the film in a, in a really big way because of my experience with like I said, Buddhism and Taoism and Confucianism and things like that. The first concept that I want to talk about is the infinite, the limitless, this never-ending circle. And in Eastern philosophy, it's known as the Wuji. And Wuji essentially means limitless. And it represents this primordial sense of never-ending, an infinite circle. I'm going to read this segment from the Tao Te Ching, which is a one of the primary 
books of Taoism, one of the primary books of Taoist teachings. No whiteness, K-N-O-W, whiteness, maintain blackness, and be a model for all under heaven. By being a model for all under heaven, eternal integrity will not err. If internal integrity does not err, you will return to infinity. And in the movie, we have the bagel that Jobu Tupaki creates. And it's this swirling black thing with this pure white center. And conversely, we have the googly eyes that Waymond slaps on everything. This big white thing with it with an all-black center. And a little side note here with the googly eyes. We have the third eye. We have the third eye googly eye that Evelyn puts on when she comes to her grand epiphany, her grand awakening. And the third eye is another Eastern philosophical concept that most people recognize. It's tied to um, perception and seeing beyond the confines of our current system and being enlightened, becoming enlightened. And in Hinduism, it represents the brow chakra or the ajna chakra. But back to Wu Ji, we are talking about um, these two pieces of symbolism, the bagel and the googly eye. And the idea of Wu Ji while being fully the both of these concepts are the full antithesis of each other, a duality, the yin and the yang construct. Joy, who's saying everything is possible, nothing matters, why be here? And Evelyn saying everything is possible, nothing matters, and I love being here creating this joy and happiness. So we get an optimistic view of, we get this optimistic view of nihilism and this pessimistic view of nihilism intertwined into the concept of wuji with these very striking black this very striking black and white symbolism in the movie so these are like really big concepts stripped down and presented to the viewer in a really digestible and and hilarious way <laughs> and going back to the wuji and the and the the idea of the circle which is present in so many pieces of Taoism, just this effortless circle. It's all it, the circle is all over the movie. I'm sure, like if you've seen it, you you noticed all the circles. <laughs> the beginning scene of the movie is a circle where Evelyn and Joy and Waymond are all singing in this circular mirror, and their circle is constantly being drawn by Jamie Lee Curtis on pieces of paper, and by Evelyn on receipts, and by Jobu Tupaki. Uh, her whole crew has circles on their head and they're making the circle symbols with their hands. And she herself wears a circle in her hair and there's circles in the laundry mat. There's circles on circles on circles on circles. And this is definitely intentional. I feel like from the creators as drawing a parallel with this infinity, there's this infinite multiverse going on, on a micro and a macro level, just all the way up and all the way down. And this circle is the symbol for Wuji and this concept of limitless, this concept of foreverness, this unbounded infinity. And this is where I, like I was saying earlier, it when you tread in this territory of talking about endless possibilities, um, 
you can't help but talk about mental health and the mental health, uh, the, the ideas about mental health and the concepts about mental health that they embedded into this movie, how we are um, comparing ourselves to others. We are comparing ourselves to ourselves, past versions of ourselves, future versions of ourselves, better versions of ourselves that we think could have existed or need to exist in the future, and how we can get lost in this swirl of infinite options of what-ifs or regrets, and how this is how we suffer, that this is what builds suffering, this detachment from our present state of being. And this is a concept, this is like one of the core concepts of Buddhism is eliminating suffering by eliminating attachment. And one of the biggest attachments we face is our, one of the biggest attachments we face are the our attachments to our regrets and our attachments to our potential selves. And I think the way that they embedded this philosophy into the movie was really well done. I thought I thought it was really well done and probably the most well done uh cinematically that I've ever seen. It's it's really brilliant. Like Joy sees it all. She knows what she's capable of. She's seen all of the outcomes and is truly lost in this infinite in infinity of outcomes. She loses her sense of happiness. She loses her sense of joy. Like joy loses all of her joy. I don't know if that was an intentional uh I don't know if that was intentional by the creators, but I hope it was. I feel like it might have been. Is that too on the nose? I feel like nothing in this movie is too on the nose because of the absurd nature of it and the beauty of absurdity. They named the most depressed character in the movie Joy just to further the <laughs> further the duality of the movie and further express that idea of losing your sense of joy when you lose your sense of self. Or when you not when you lose your sense of self, but when you lose your sense of now, when you lose your sense of present. And Joy eventually decides, you know, I've seen it all. I know what's out there for me on every level, every conceivable reality. And she decides this is over for me. This is something I don't want anymore. And in life, we, so many people come to this point in their own minds. They come to this point where they become depressed and this they get this overbearing weight of what they could have done or what they should have done or what they haven't done yet. And I think that joy wanting to step into the bagel is a metaphor for suicide. I mean, it's not even a metaphor. She says in the movie she wants to obliterate herself. She is done with this. She wants it she doesn't want to live in this reality where she's tormented by thinking about and knowing about all of these potentials, she's so detached from her present. Um, kind of by, I mean, in the movie, kind of by no fault of her own, since she got pushed to this to this breaking point because of, of being 
you know, put into this multiverse jumping scenario where she was pushed beyond her limits. Um, just like a lot of us get pushed beyond, beyond our limits in our own lives. But I think, anyway, I think that Joy wanting to step into the bagel is, an, is a metaphor for suicide. And I think it's a metaphor for allowing this existential dread to take hold of us and to torment us to a point of no return. And whether that's actual physical suicide or spiritual suicide too, like you can commit suicide without physically committing suicide. You can, you can um, commit a spiritual suicide. And that's part of what, um, that's, I remember the scene in the movie where Evelyn is hunkered under this table with Waymond and, um, she asks, what could be worse than death? And Wayman doesn't really answer. She just, he, he kind of pauses and looks away. And she's like, you need to explain all of this to me right now. And then he gets it into explaining how Joy splits herself and the whole conundrum she, she goes through with her mind being fractured, fractured across the multiverse. But I think that what this whole, this whole scene symbolizes is you know, she asked what could be worse than death, and Wayman essentially expresses that spiritual suicide can be worse than death. Your ability to lose your sense of compassion and lose your capacity for love, both externally and internally, can be worse than death. It's it's reasons like this that I think that this movie is one of is one of the most impactful pieces of cinematic art in this generation or just period because at least it, from my perspective as someone watching the movie uh I I could only think like this must be the realization that a lot of people watching this are coming to like where does joy want to go why does she wants to step into this bagel. Why does she want to exist as nothing? She's already everywhere all at once. And she's already simultaneously existing on every plane of this reality. By Then by being this way, she's already kind of... She's already nothing. She's everywhere and nowhere all at, all at the same time. And that uh, she needs to just be with this. This is the realization Evelyn comes to. Just be with be with what is happening accept this impermanence this imperfection and this chaos and this beauty all as they are and that if there's no purpose let there be no purpose and try to create happy moments and build a sense of compassion along the way and i think that that motif that um that thought is going to reverberate through. I know, I'm just, <laughs> I know I'm just gushing over here over this movie, but I really think that it's going to have a pretty profound impact, especially with the accolades that it's set to receive from like the Oscars and stuff. Uh, because a lot of movies, whether we, whether you, whether you, uh, whether people want to admit it or not, uh, whether whether people want to admit it or not, I'm even like guilty of it. Like I always try and find movies that I think that are on like top 100 lists and stuff because there's only so many hours in the day, and like I want to I want to watch something that I think is potent, has been like you know received accolades for being um, 
being, be having an impact. And I'll like peel through lists. I don't just look at like the first list of stuff, you know. I'm not ba- I'm not I'm not super basic with my cinema, but I dive into lists because I want to like take advantage of the time I have to watch movies. I think are going to be really potent. And I think that if this movie wins the accolades, wins the wins the golden wins the golden trophies that it's set to win, hopefully, that it'll get put on some lists, and people will be in the same boat that I'm in, and they'll say like what movie should I watch? And hopefully this one will be on some lists and a bunch of people will watch it and it will make waves of compassion and empathy throughout the world. And I think it already has. I think it already has. Hey, yo, so this is like the middle of the show and I wanted to, first of all, thank everyone for dialing into this podcast is if this is your first time here welcome if this is your 13th time here welcome i'm glad that you're here and i'm glad that you are sharing this experience with me if you'd like to support the podcast leaving a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening to this on goes a really really long way also if you are able to leave a review for the podcast, uh, that also goes an, an extremely long way. Uh, another way you can support the podcast, other than just telling your friends and family about it, is signing up on my Patreon. There is a link in the description of this episode and all the episodes, or you can just go to patreon.com and search for Mount Analog, M-T, period, A-N-A-L-O-G-U-E. You get early access to podcasts, early access to my music, um, early access to art, and all kinds of other cool stuff. However you support, I cannot thank you enough. Infinite, infinite, infinite thank yous. I love you. Infinite blessings to you. Let's get back to the podcast. And one of the ways that I think it is super palatable for people, these really huge ideas. I don't mean to sound pretentious about this. Like it was palatable for me too. And I'm, I'm not above, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not above the layman with any of this. I'm just saying, uh, what I'm trying to say is I think that the way that they intertwined this, these huge concepts into a story about a mother and a daughter and how this mother is not only trying to stop her daughter from ending her own life physically, but also spiritually as well. And I think that that angle is going to be really resourceful for people. It's going to be really like a lot of people are going to resonate with that um, storyline. They're going to resonate with that storyline because whether you're a parent or you are a child, you always have conflict. There's always conflict there, whether you have a really well put together relationship with your parents no matter what you're going to have a conflict with your parents so i think that the way that they um the way that they used the way that they used like a really common idea of conflict between mother and daughter and also the conflict with waymond and evelyn as well with husband and wife or just partners in general like those things are inevitable in reality so people resonate with that people like can digest that and at the end of the day like that's 
that's where this story lives. That's how this story is, is framed. The next thing I'd like to talk about is the concept of Wu Wei. And Wu Wei means acting without acting. It's grasping the oneness. It's reducing desires and leaving human nature untouched. It's a concept from Confucianism that was ex- expanded upon throughout time in Taoist in in Taoist philosophy. And there's a Taoist quote from a text called Guanzai that reads, "When you enlarge your mind and let go of it, when you relax your vital breath and expand it, when your body is calm and unmoving." And you can maintain the one and discard the myriad disturbances. You will see profit and not be enticed by it. You will see harm and not be frightened by it. Relaxed and unwound, yet acutely sensitive. In solitude, you delight in your own person. This is called revolving the vital breath. Your thoughts and deeds seem heavenly. I think that the way Evelyn eventually realizes that violence is not the answer to her problems is a reflection of this philosophy. She decides that she is done fighting, and of course with the help of Waymond, which I'll get into in a little bit. Evelyn decides instead of fighting, she's going to be aligned with the needs of her enemies, She looks to them and finds what they desire, and she gives it to them. She shines compassion upon them, and her form of fighting changes. The fighting becomes not really fighting at all, but instead, her choice to not act upon the violence solves her conflicts. And that's not to say she doesn't completely refrain from action, like the idea of Wu Wei suggests, um or might seem to suggest, but she, because she obviously acts, and she does, but she just does it in a very different and very non-violent way, which I would, which I would say does very much align with the philosophy of Wu Wei, like making yourself like water, not acting, but acting, (laughs) acting without acting. It's a very like Confucius Taoist concept, but I think that that was the concept they were trying to embed into this non this sense of nonviolence. Like you can get things done without pushing things to a form of violence. And nonviolence in general is hugely tied into Eastern culture and a big centerpiece to so many modes of thinking in the East. And just to clarify, when I talk about the East uh, I'm talking about these modes of thinking that were developed in the East. They're kind of present everywhere on Earth today in one way or another, but they were invented and developed in the East. So if you hear me talk about Eastern culture, Eastern thinking, I'm talking about these philosophical constructs that were created in the East, like Buddhism and Taoism and Confucianism, uh, Hinduism and things like that. I don't necessarily mean like those things are present only there today. <laughs> and there's also this concept I feel like a lot of people are familiar with from Eastern philosophies where you sit 
and contemplate, or you sit and clear yourself. You dis- you try to, in a sense, like dissolve your ego, and you connect to the present, and you just try to be here in this void of chaos. You can call it, like people call it meditation, mindfulness, and it goes by a bunch of different names. Uh, one of the names that it goes by is Jingzhou, which is sitting in quiet contemplation. There's also Zhao Wang, which is sitting in oblivion. And I think the way that we see these things reflected in the movie is when Joy and Evelyn are turned into rocks, and they're just sitting and they're thinking. They sit on this vast plane of emptiness and this stillness, and they just contemplate. And they're not looking for purpose. They're just realizing that they are rocks. <laughs> and that, that scene definitely hit me in a really deep way, too, because I've spent so much time in my life sitting and meditating and contemplating and thinking and coming to uh, things that I feel like are epiphanies just by centering myself and trying to be with the moment that I'm in. Whether and, and by meditating, I don't mean like, I mean, sometimes I do mean sitting alone in a quiet room and thinking about things like this, but I just mean overall being able to detach yourself from the past and the future and being present, finding that stillness in the moment that you're in. And I love how they put that scene where they turn into rocks and have this moment of quiet contemplation during a super chaotic part of the movie. I think that this is meant to show how challenging it can be to quiet your mind and truly become present when there's so much chaos that you're faced with every day. So I think that was a really fun, uh, a really fun way that they did it. I love the googly eyes on the rocks and I love that. Um, I just love how silly it was and I love how they're like, yep, this is how most universes are. Most universes aren't capable of sustaining life and here we are as rocks. And then like Evelyn tries to talk and Joy's just like, no, 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 just be a rock. We're just rocks here. We don't have to worry about any of that. Not here. This is just rock world. We're just hanging out, doing nothing. <laughs> it's one of my one of my favorite scenes. And I know I keep I know I keep talking about this movie and its parallels with Eastern thoughts and philosophies, and it does indeed have so many parallels, so many that I'm not going to I'm not going to have time to get to all of them on this podcast. But I also think that. At its core, this movie is a humanist movie. It's a movie about optimistic and pessimistic existential nihilism. And one of the main characters, and my favorite character, Waymond, is certainly on the side of optimistic nihilism. He knows and addresses that we have no idea why we're here. We have no idea why we're here, but we should still be nice. We should still show compassion. And we can see this in the way he handles situations in the movie. We can also see it in what he says in the movie. So I wrote down a few 
quotes he says from the movie that I think really reflect his view of optimistic nihilism or his position as a character or an influence of optimistic nihilism. One of the quotes is, I know you see yourself as a fighter. Well, I see myself as one too. This is how I fight. I understand that you aren't a person who admits defeat, nor am I. It's just that these methods we've chosen are different. Another quote of his is, When I choose to see the good side of things, I'm not being naive. It is strategic and necessary. It's how I've learned to survive through everything. And this quote is truly intertwined with Taoism. The Tao literally means way or path or road or route. And this route that Taoism suggests is one of intentional compassion and strategic alignment with love. And that's what he's saying here. I think he's saying, I'm choosing this path. There's no naive, uh, there's no naivete to this. There's no naive nature behind this. This is what I want at the core of my being. Like you may misinterpret this as weakness, but this is a very strategic path of compassion. Another quote from Waymond is, I know you're all fighting because you're scared and you're confused. I'm confused too. All day, I don't know what the heck is going on, but somehow this feels like it's all my fault. And that one just really shook me to my core. It really like, like made me cry because I think this is... This one hits so hard because at this moment when he says it in the movie, it like, it breaks the fourth wall. And sure, he's like, in the movie, he's talking to everyone who's actually battling inside the IRS building, but he's really talking to the audience. He's really talking to the viewers saying, I'm here with you. I'm lost too. I'm trying to navigate this and I feel broken and alone too. And it's just this pure sense of vulnerability in the midst of this interdimensional chaos. And there's another reason that Waymond is my favorite character. Like I said, I've read a lot about Buddhism. I've practiced it. I've done the same thing with Taoism. And they are beautiful modes of thinking. They are wonderful paths. And I think there is so much to gain from them. And I think this movie is full of wonderful anecdotes that represent these paths. But at the same time, I think that Waymond represents something else along with these things, something else that works inside of these frameworks on a much deeper level, something that has truly been a big piece of the reality puzzle for me personally, (laughs) or the reality conundrum for me. And that is absurdism. He's really he's really silly. He laughs. He dances with the laundromat customers. He smiles. He puts googly eyes on everything. He's like this he's like this nymph fairy type character that brings this sense of innocence and just wackiness to an otherwise bleak reality that he's a part of. 
And with absurdism, you, what, like, absurdism, in absurdism, you have to wholeheartedly accept that suffering is inevitable, that existence itself is so fused with suffering, and that we have to be with it. We have to let it envelop us, and that, and that's a lot of what I've found. This, this... <laughs> This piece of Wayman's character of just accepting suffering and being with it parallels with a lot of like pro- profound things that I've come to understand about life. It's not like it's not about transcending suffering and I don't think anyone I don't think anyone in any lifetime will ever truly escape this wheel of samsara or this this cycle of suffering or be reincarnated into a perfect being. I think that, um, I think that, and I think, like I said, Taoism and Buddhism and are, are are beautiful things. But I think some of the dogma that comes with uh, with those belief systems can, in some way, get things a little twisted up. Like, sure, I get that um, that this sense of transcending suffering is meant to be looked upon as like metaphors for your present state of being. I completely get that. But I also think that this need for transcendence can create desire, which in in a different way can create suffering. And you know, is this is this path of transcending suffering and creating desire through this need of transcendence is it not collapsing? in upon itself, like Jobu Tupaki's bagel. <laughs> I think that that is a big uh, concept behind the bagel. Like it, A lot of spiritual belief systems implode upon themselves when you really break them down to their, to their cores or when you really get too extreme about them. When you really um, start to think of things in, a, in, in an extremist mindset, like how joy was doing, you really implode the whole ideology behind behind the belief system. So I think just the symbolism of the of the imploding bagel was really beautiful in that regard as well. It's like for any spiritual belief system, when you get too extreme into the dogmatic pieces of it, it it always implodes upon itself. It's like when you can take elements of the belief systems and incorporate them into your life and in sprinkles, you just like you would sprinkle in everything bagel, you um that's where the truth lies. That's where you find a real sense of peace. I don't personally subscribe to one particular mode of reality. I think that we have to pull not only not only do we have to pull from all of the modes of thinking I think that at the core of most of religions or paths or teachings that the core of it the essence of it is love and that the essence of what we're looking for is compassion what we should be striving for is compassion and I'm not, I'm not over here trying to poke holes in any spiritual belief systems. You believe anything that you want, as long as you're not harming people. <laughs> and 
I think for these reasons as well, like that's why there's so many forms of of Buddhism and Hinduism and Christianity and just every religion on earth because there is no one-size-fits-all scenario for why we're here and what we're doing. And I think for the most part that true practitioners of any belief system understand this conundrum and how it's a really complex thing. Anyway, I want to, uh, I kind of got off on a tangent there. I wanted to get back to absurdism and how Waymond is in the thick of it. He's swimming in this soup. He's one with the suffering. He's fully engrossed in his situation, and in the face of everything, he's still being silly, he's still being fun, and he's still trying to create a positive environment through his act of purely being and helping to make things positive and beneficial for those around him. And Joy and Evelyn eventually realize that being one with, real- being one with the reality they are in is really special. And that creating happiness is how you fight the existential dread of a meaningless existence. But Waymond, he was there from the beginning. And not even the alpha, not even, not the alphaverse Waymond, the, the universe one, the simple Waymond. He was truly just engulfed in the now and one with his present situation, and he was absurd, and he was happy. He was weird. That has been something that as, I go through, that as I've gone through my whole life, like I said, um, dissecting different, different modes of thinking, like this, this absurdism and just being silly and fun and happy and creating a positive environment is always something that bubbles to the surface every time. That's the main reason why he's my favorite character. He's like a Tom Bombadil, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings at all. Or he's like this... He's this character that exists between the fringes. He's in the fringe. He exists between worlds. And not only is he absurd, and does he embody this this level of absurdism that I love, the whole movie embodies this level of absurdism how just silly and ridiculous and fun it is all the stuff with with Rakakuni, like evelyn has joy tied up and she's like trying to she's trying to explain or she has her taped up and she's trying to explain like what's going on to her she's like yeah like that movie Rakakuni, and <laughs> the fact that they like they're like, oh yeah, there's infinite universes. So obviously in one of these universes, Rakakuni has to actually exist. And then they put that in the movie. This like Ratatouille parallel with Rakakuni. And they made a soundtrack f- for it. They made like a <laughs> they made like a whole song for it and a whole story arc for Rakakuni to be in the movie. And then like the hot dog fingers is just another uh another <laughs> another piece of absurdism like yeah sure there's going to be a universe 
where if there's infinite universes where anything is possible in in these multiverses like there's going to be one where everyone has hot dogs for fingers and they're going to shoot ketchup and mustard into each other's mouths they're going to play the piano with their feet <laughs> like whenever she's watching that uh scene in the laundromat and like they're dancing and it's really elegant and they have their like their fancy clothes on and they're just like moving in these really angelic ways with these hot dog hands and then they like touch the hot dogs to each other's mouths and like ketchup and mustard start squirting out like i died like i died laughing it was like so silly and fun like and like i'm pretty sure like moments before that i was like crying and then i'm just like dying laughing like what is happening right now So absurdism, absurdism is everywhere in this movie. The um, the butt plug fight scene, which is just cinematic master. The choreography in the butt plug fight scene is just, without a doubt, some of some of the best in the movie. <laughs> some of the best. If they don't win an Oscar for the. Co- I don't know if like martial arts choreography is an Oscar category, but like that. They definitely need to win for win for that. Um, the the Joe the uh, Jobo Tupaki like hallway dildo scene where she's like beating ever beating the shit out of the security guards with dildos that had me dying as well. This whole movie had me either laughing or crying. I was either laughing or crying just for like a straight. How I don't remember what the runtime was. I feel like it was like over two hours. It was like over two hours. I was like laughing or crying just the entire time <laughs> in the best way. So there's just a couple other small notes that I took when I was re-watching this. And uh, some of those were uh, really cool Buddhist things, really cool like implanted Buddhist constructs. Constru- constructs, excuse me. Uh, like... Like the fact that Evelyn is the version of herself that has done the least. She is empty. She is a clean slate. She is full of potential. That kind of parallels with like dissolving your ego or cleansing your mind or like clearing your mind through meditation. I thought that that was really cool. Like she's empty, so she's capable of anything. I thought that that was a really cool parallel. Another one was um, on Wayman's, when she sits down at her tax audit after Wayman has like revealed himself as the alpha Wayman in the elevator and he hands her this list of instructions. It's like, put your shoe on the wrong foot, imagine yourself in the janitor's closet, and then don't forget to breathe. I just thought like that last one was really like, ooh, that one hits because there's so many... um, there's so many in in a lot of eastern uh in a lot of eastern traditions modes of thinking philosophies religions what have you there's always uh breathing is so important being present with your breath and and breathing exercises are always so important to meditation so i thought that that was really cool that that was on there like just breathe that's the last step just breathe <laughs> you're going to you're going to achieve this if you breathe <laughs> And it was just so simple and pure. And I was like, yes, yes. Another kind of cool thing I wanted to talk about was how this is a movie about 
an Asian family that is coming to America and how the differences in lifestyle from coming from, well, China, this is a ch- specifically Chinese family coming to America and the differences in, in the, just that world coming from such a different place to such a different place, how that had to feel like you were traveling to an unknown multiverse for them and for anyone who immigrates anywhere. You are going to a different universe on planet Earth. So I thought that they, the fact that they framed this around a Chinese immigrant family just added to the multiverse concept of this whole thing in a really, really interesting way. So kudos to them for adding adding it on that on that fundamental of a level in a in a really beautiful way. And I could sit and I could dissect this movie forever. It's 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 beauty and its realness and how it's just such an effective piece of art and how I think it's going to change the world in a really big way. I could gush on this movie for hours. Um, like I said, it made me laugh. It made me cry. It made me feel things. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. And I'm excited to dive into the ones I haven't seen, the other movies that I haven't seen from these directors and writers. So they're next. They're next on my list. At the end of each podcast, I like to do fun facts. And for these fun facts, I wanted to keep them parallel with the movies. So all these fun facts are about everything, everywhere, all at once. And the first one is, when movies are being produced, they often have these secret titles so that nothing leaks out from the production studio or that none of the details about the movie get spoiled to the public. And for everything, everywhere, all at once, the secret title was A Woman Tries to Do Her Taxes. (laughs) Um, The next fun fact is the actor who played Waymond, Ki Guy Kwans, this was his first uh, major role in over 18 years. And if you didn't know or realize, he is Data from The Goonies, and he is also Short Round from Indiana Jones. And uh, I thought it was really cool. Uh, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It was like one of the movies that we I would watch on VHS, because, like when I was growing up. So it like really resonated with me, and uh, or really resonates with me. And I thought it was really cool when uh, when Evelyn and Wayman were under the table, and she's like kind of losing it, wanting to snap back to her like perfect movie star reality and he's like snap out of it they framed that scene just like a scene from temple of doom where short round uh key guy kwans is uh smacking indiana jones in the face like hey snap out of it so i just thought that was really cool too um the next fact kind of blew my mind but uh Five people who did not go to school for visual effects at all did all of the CGI for the film in their bedrooms during the pandemic. (laughs) 
which is just insane. It just reinforces the fact that you don't have to go to college. Five people, no degrees for visual effects, did the effects for this visually stunning movie uh, in their bedrooms. They didn't... They didn't have fancy studios or in their bedrooms doing these effects. No degree. Beautiful. Just freaking beautiful. Uh, the next fun fact is that the Daniels directed DJ Snake and Lil Jon's music video for Turn Down For What. And the main character in that video is also the character in the hot dog uh, scene. The one I was talking about where they're shooting... Uh, ketchup and mustard into each other's mouths doing this like angelic dance uh, that Evelyn is watching in the laundromat. The girl in that is the main character for the Turn Down For What music video. <laughs> Just a couple more fun facts and then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, the next fun fact is that so movies have, not only do they have secret titles so things don't get leaked, they also have international titles so they will be called something else in a different country that's just like a thing that happens uh some of the alternate titles for this movie in other countries uh in china it it was it is called in an instant the entire universe also in china in hong kong specifically it has an alternate title that is Weird woman warrior fucks around and saves the universe. <laughs> like, yes, I think if they, I think if they didn't go with everything everywhere all at once, that weird woman warrior fucks around and saves the universe should have been the name of this movie. <laughs> and then uh, there's one. That one was Hong Kong specific. This one is Taiwan specific, and it is so fucking many universes, which also. Right on the nose. Uh, our next fun fact is that most of Jamie Lee Curtis's wardrobe choices were her own. Like the yellow vest thing, her wrist brace, her necklace. She curated the whole vibe of her character. Like the the writers and directors gave her some input, but they gave her the creative freedoms with the aesthetic of that character and i think she nailed it her perform her her hair her wardrobe her demeanor like her like that scene where she's just chugging that like i don't i don't really know what it's like a protein drink or something like out of that carton she just like slams it into the trash can so so spot on <laughs> like fit her character so nicely uh and this is our this is our last fun fact about the movie. Uh, the original choice for the role of Waymond in this movie was Jackie Chan, which I think Jackie Chan would have been also been a perfect uh, a perfect Waymond. Now I can't like now having seen this movie and like seeing the current choice for Waymond like. I don't. I can't see it as Jackie Chan. But if I would have seen this movie and Jackie Chan would have been in that place, it would have all made sense. You know, he's he has the um, he has like the squirrely nervousness, but also like the uh, also the uh, the poise and grace of like an eagle. And he 
can do really crazy stunts and he's really uh he's just super a super talented dude so i think he would have fit into that role really well too and that about wraps it up thank you for listening to me listening to my brain puke about this movie gushing over this movie and how wonderful it is and i just hope that this is an inspiration for more writers and directors and creators to take creative risks and take creative angles that they think that they're unsure about because i i also read about this movie there's like there was a lot of um there was a lot of unknowns about the reception of this movie. They really were like putting their heart into it and they really weren't thinking so much about the commercial success of it. And the fact that it's has been so commercially successful is amazing, but I hope that it's inspiring to other artists to be themselves and embed a raw, real sense of their perspective on the human experience into their artwork and into their creations and just their lives in general. Like I said, thank you again for joining me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for um, listening. I'll see each and every one of you in the multiverse. But until then, remember to check on your mental health and check on the mental health of your loved ones. Bye. Analog thoughts. Analog thoughts. Analog thoughts. Analog thoughts. Analog thoughts. Analog thoughts. Analog thoughts.